Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. I hope you're good. I have to say, there is a guy outside who has, for the last 15 minutes, had his car running, and it seems like his exhaust is on some kind of steroid. So I'm just having to go on and get on and record, because otherwise I'll probably just break down into a ball of tired tears. God, God. Uh, Yeah, I'm not in a professional studio, as you well know. I hope you're doing well. I really mean that. It's it's great to be back in the real world. I say that because finally gone to central central London for the first time in six months. Finally went on a uh, on on the overground, which was extraordinary, quite an experience, and I mean that in 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 just like feeling like the curtain's been finally lifted and it's back to normality in some regard. I suppose the face mask thing is still weird, but then you go, yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, germ, germy, germ-free-ish. Going into shops and sanitising. It kind of was just, it's like, why weren't we doing this before? I mean, I, I, you know, I understand why we weren't doing it before. I'm not a complete idiot. But in some circumstances, it's like, yeah, going to, you know, going to a toilet and washing your hands. I was always doing that, obviously, but some people maybe weren't doing that. Or just, I don't know what I'm saying right now. All I'm saying is that, yes, I'm fine with it. It's good. I think we're getting through it. Do you feel that? Do you feel like we're, we're getting through the bad storm and th- passing through in, into the, the good stuff? I don't know, the better stuff. I mean, cricket's back. <sighs> football's football's kind of back. I don't know. I mean, that's old. That's an old story. Get with the program. Should we talk about this week's show? Let, let's, let's do that. Um, yeah, this week is a really... So it's one that really means a lot, a lot to me because of the guest and the subject matter, Shoshana Mitchell. So she's a, a, a friend of mine. We've known each other for about five or six years. I, I met her in Thailand when we were volunteering at the dog sanctuary at Soy Dog, of course, Soy Dog Foundation. As many of you guys know, I have two Soy Dogs that I adopted from there. And Shoshana was there when I fell in love with Rosie, my dog. And yeah, I don't know, we just, we just, we really hit it off. And we've managed to stay uh, close friends ever since. And sadly, Shoshana went through a a real tragedy uh, last year when she lost her her mother completely out of the blue. We discuss how her mother passed away and the subsequent grief-stricken year or so she's had and the journey she's been through it's uh, it's quite profound I, and I um I I I didn't I, I didn't want to speak to her um just so it would be one of those awful gratuitous emotional uh, journeys that just seem seem to be so prevalent in terms of if you you make make people cry the kind of like that marketing thing the 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 tear dollar or the whatever dollar you know like the bill hicks line and i just i just think this i want to talk to someone about grief because i feel like i'm going through a lot of that at the moment i'm doing a lot of writing about my own 
life and I'm, I'm currently writing about my dad and and I always talk about him but I never go into any depth about it because I'm scared I'm just scared about talking about it because now I started writing about it it's terrifying think about everything that I went through all the minutiae that I'm just remembering so speaking about it with Shoshana was great but I obviously we spoke primarily about her mother um, and it's deep very uh, deeply upsetting and but profoundly I think at times uplifting it's a journey I, I would say that ends with a lot of hope and I I don't know if you've been through anything recently or at all at any time it's something that will really resonate with you this conversation and I hope you do take something from it and if you feel like reaching out and talking to me uh, or show Shana please do you can find me on um, Instagram the Limehouse podcast and Twitter Limehouse pod please do it'd be good to hear from you but yeah um, other than that if you've got anything if you need your mind taken away from all the crap that's going on in the world at the moment I might suggest you go back over uh, rewind have a listen to some of the uh, other podcasts that are available got the wonderful Paul Salapek on the show not so long ago who's literally following the footsteps of our ancestors from Africa all the way to the Cape Horn which is quite something by foot so that's thousands upon thousands of miles over the course of many many years it's a form of slow journalism which is to me mind bending and it's quite a conversation it really is it's called out of out of eden check it out i absolutely loved it but yeah and as always feel free to check out the short film on my website somedaysadiamonds.co.uk somedaysadiamonds.co.uk and i am always of course really grateful for your support so look after yourselves i hope you will enjoy this chat with shoshana i absolutely loved it She's a wonderful human being. She really has, I feel, come on such a long journey. Um, I wouldn't say she's necessarily out of the storm. I don't think any of us that have suffered profound loss are ever out of the storm. I, I, I suggest that we more or less circumnavigate it you know, as best we can. And it always comes and hits us when we're least expecting it, as which I'm finding right now. Anyway, look after yourselves and enjoy this chat. Thank you. Yeah, let's just chat. So, look, how, how have you been anyway? Like, how um, how has lockdown been for you? I know it's been pretty mental. Um, I think that for me personally, it's um, it's been okay. I mean, I've had like financially, I've been impacted, which is a, you know always a worry. But I just think of the people who honestly have, because of my own experience, 
lost lives. And I just think those are the people that my heart goes out to. If I've had a pay cut, at least I'm making the basic bills. I just don't feel in a, any position to be complaining, you know? I'm always, always have been, even before um, losing mum, I've always been about um, what have I got, not what don't I have. And so, you know, have I, you know, in spite of coronavirus, what have I still got? You know, still got my attitude, uh, positive attitude. I still have, you know, I live in a lovely place, very lucky. I still have, you know, the rest of my family, um, all those valuable things that you can't put a price on that other people sadly don't. So, truly, I've just been looking at the learning and the growth um, to come from this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. Is it, but it's the thing is, it's one of those things where you it's not like a therapy session where you chat with someone for an hour, you go through all those things and then you're good for four or five, maybe six days. And then you kind of like need to just uh, if someone else just come in, to, you know, professional to unpack it again and just help you again. This is like something you you juggle, you juggle these intense emotions, like your own vulnerability, your own like, I don't know, uncertainty, your own human condition whether you're mm. going to live or die uh, you get over it and then two hours later it comes back all the questions come back am mm -hmm. i going to die oh my god how am i going to be am i going to am i going to die you know and it's it's such um you know it's such a prof i don't know it's a profound thing we're all going through but you've you know losing your mummy just not so long ago it's like another terrible you know it's like another realization of our own more you know mortality Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think, like you're saying, it's continuous, isn't it? Um, all of this. Yeah, you don't just feel better one day to the next. It's <laughs> like grief. Um, and so it is continuous. It's, you know, it's an enduring situation that we're in. Um, and I think some of the skills that I've learned from grieving last year, actually, you can apply to this because it's ultimately to me it's all about loss right so loss doesn't just have to be loss of a loved one loss of my mum loss is loss of normalcy loss of direction and so this is what we're in you know we've all lost a lot if you broaden up the term and so it's you know how do we handle that how do we cope with that uncertainty of what's to come now I know and I think the other thing is like, you know, you put it into context of, of who's leading the world <laughs> that you're living in politically and you're thinking about Donald Trump and Boris Johnson and it, and it's, it's pretty terrifying to, you know, to those, to have those two, I mean, people say Boris is a blundering idiot. I don't know about that. I don't think he's an idiot <laughs> at all. I think he's a very conniving individual and to be conniving, you've got to be pretty, pretty intelligent. And Donald, I think is more of a, blundering idiot Ugh, I just said Donald like ugh, like I know him, or <laughs> him or something. but um yeah and it's just kind of in that mix and there is so much stress we're all going through and it's 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 almost like a weighted palpable sense that I I don't know like you I'm not drinking more definitely not drinking more but I'm constantly checking in with myself having to bring my head above water whereas before coronavirus i definitely wasn't doing that i was definitely like just floating along going life's okay could be worse life's okay kind of doing that now but now i find myself like i was explaining earlier like i'm just having to oh just 
constantly reevaluate and and just mm-hmm. check in with myself and go, no, come on, up you come again, bring yourself back up, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like you're able, like you're able to meander before. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it, isn't it? Just like to chill out in your head for a head your headspace. Just have a yeah. nice little fucking. Oh, what was I thinking about? I was thinking about nothing for 10 minutes. Now I'm like fucking, oh, am I going to die? <laughs> Have I got coronavirus? Shit. God. Yeah. Anyway, ch- ch- can we, can we talk about, can we talk about your mum a bit just to give this, to give yeah. it some, some context, um, which I'm sure she'd love. Cause she was a, I only met your mum once at your <laughs> house, but she was quite the character. <laughs> she had, what was her nickname again? That's it. Wince. We called her Wince. Wince. Um, yeah, because she would be a little baby about a lot of things. Um, you know, didn't want to drive the car at night. And right. She'd get, you know, you'd start talking about a roller coaster ride and she'd go, oh, don't even talk about it. My dizziness is going. Setting my dizziness off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we used to call her Wince, which is funny because physically she might have been a Wince, but mentally she was far from it, you know more strength yeah. than you have ever known um but yeah. yeah she was she was a little wince to us um yeah and like can you remember like your first i think it's a weird thing to say right or point or ask someone because i've never asked this before ever um but can <laughs> oh, you remember gosh. your can you, first, can you remember your first memory of your mum i know that sounds mad because it's all blurred into one mm-hmm. isn't it when we're kids but maybe like if, if, if you can't remember a first memory maybe like a, a memory that sticks with you the most from your childhood. If with you can my do mom. that. Oh gosh, childhood memory with mum. I think it's not necessarily a specific moment that I remember, but a big part of what I remember of my mum when I was younger was her journey of personal growth, to be honest. So she, you know, had trauma um her and my dad splitting up when I was eight and she went into counseling and then went on to be a counselor herself and so when I think of my mom when I was younger I think of this series of watching her grow actually um and passing on the wisdom advice that she was learning as she went um you know we weren't really in a position where we could afford to go on holidays and things like that um we went to Disneyland when I think I was nine or so so I you know recall yeah freaking loved it um so um you know I recall recall that trip um with her and, and actually god which character was it that <laughs> she had this weird kind of crush on and we took a photo she's like wrapping her legs around him I can't oh, remember a, a crush a crush oh, on a Disney character <laughs> This is really embarrassing, Mum. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> oh, my God. She loves Snoopy. She... <laughs> Snoopy um, rang her bell. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's more of, like, just this ongoing feeling of a character that yeah. I think about. Um, yeah. When I was, from when I was younger. Yeah. And just just so you know, Show, I'm 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 writing a bit at the moment about uh, my my life, and I've come to a part where I'm writing about my dad. And I always thought I was dealing with it quite well, and I started thinking about my childhood and my dad, my interactions. And it's it's a little bit like not the floodgates have opened, but a lot of a lot of shit has started to hit the fan in terms of mm-hmm. thinking about it, unpacking it all. 
oh, it's not very nice, but it is nice. It's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, you know, you're thinking about those moments and, and they're wonderful, but it's desperately difficult as well. I mean, oh, so was it, was it, a, I mean, I suppose because they're now passed away, we tend to think of our parents with like, they're super, they're superheroes. And I know certainly mm-hmm. your mum was de- definitely had a lot of that mm-hmm. going on. The, my God, some of that life advice. But like, mm-hmm. what could, can you remember what you thought of, of about your mum when you were a kid, like when you were growing up? I mean, I can think about my mum and dad's relationship. Like I used to love how in love they were. They were so in love, you know, it was beautiful mm-hmm. and profound and a wonderful thing to be around. Can you remember like, did you have any memory of that with your mummy at all? I keep saying mummy. Oh God, mum. <laughs> Um, I, no, I do. I think some of the things with my mum, one is just honestly like the laughter. She would really find humour in anything. And I think that's been a big thing of, she would never ignore a difficult situation. She'd process it still, but she'd be able to laugh at it and alongside it while processing it, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, and so, and she'd just find humour in the funny, in the most random things. You know, one day I remember coming running out of the toilet with the toilet seat in her hand, laughing her head off. That's like, what are you doing? So the toilet seat's fallen off. Look, <laughs> you know, You've got a and picture was, of that. Right, I've got a photo of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like take a photo. Let's send it to your stepdad. Tell him he's the worst person at DIY. Can't even keep a toilet seat on the toilet. Because goes, I sat on it. <laughs> To go for a pee and I've slid off <laughs> and so I think just the random stuff that she would laugh at is a big one and her laughter and also just singing it's the joy you know the singing oh god she had the worst singing voice as do I and <laughs> any opportunity anything became a song always breaking out into the sound of music West Side Story she loved the carpenters I always think about her listening to and singing the carpenters yeah, uh, she used to love her. She used to write little home birds, so she'd always be at home on her couch, um, having made her dinner, which was always something like a jacket potato with ham, a shit ton of butter, and a salad. <laughs> watching Coronation Street and then Emmerdale on her little lap tray. <laughs> you know, oh, you just see that every night with her pickles. She loved a pickle. Um, she was very routine. My mom was very routine love just being okay. at home yeah <laughs> yeah i think those are some of the things honestly that i remember about her actually i have a really beautiful story um yeah. of some of our younger family um uh you know my stepdad's side family that gone on to have um his sister gone on to have kids um and there were two sisters and the elder sister and i mean she must have gosh i'm gonna get the ages wrong but it's around you know she was around six and she was teaching her younger sister, who was a couple of years old, life lessons. And she turned around and she said, if you want to know about cooking, you have to go and speak to Nanny. If you want to know about shopping, you go and speak to Auntie Eve. And if you want to know about love, you speak to Auntie Anita. And I just (laughs) think that is the sweetest thing for like a six-year-old to pick up on that you go to my mum for love. Yeah, you know? that's pretty cute. And I that's actually very think, cute. yeah, and I actually think that sums her up really. Um, yeah, it's a really nice way to think of it. So yeah, those are my kind of memories. 
Ah, uh, and they and they of course they they come and go, don't they? Like different memories come in and 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 what have you. They come and go like um, over the years. I think I, I wish mine was slightly more fluid, and I wish I had more, but that's just life. Um, but what? Because um, I know you spoke about. I, I mean, I know that um, she was quite a um, a powerful woman in terms of her ability to help you through problems in your life. Like when when did that start from her like in her when was her when did her ability to be able to help others like start when did when did it kind of come into fruition definitely when she was going through her own counseling to start with so what she was learning by being counseled and i i honestly really from the age of nine um remember her dropping snippets on me all the time um, and it was interesting because at first when she was learning, which I think is how we all are, well, I don't really like to say all of us, but how the majority of us might be is you kind of throw, when you're learning, you kind of throw things in awkwardly, don't you? Oh, I've just learned this. Let's just throw it out there. And it's as you've learned from a textbook. Whereas once you learn more and you get your own opinion, it starts to become more fluid and natural, doesn't it, over time? So I remember the age of like nine as I was going through my teens, she'd just throw out these like one-liners and things. Um, and so she started honestly imparting on me then. I think the earliest thing she would say to me, you know, when I was talking about not getting on with some of the girls at school, she'd say, it says more about them than it says about you. You know, and that <laughs> she'd keep going on about that. Um, and then she'd yeah. say, I'm like, mum, stop with your, I can't remember what I'd call it, but your, te- your technical crap. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Like this psychological crap. Your haikus, um, man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, honestly, from I think I do remember little snippets being thrown at me um, throughout my teens. And then gosh, as time went on and until the end, last year when I was 34, I mean, it just got more profound, more deep, more fluid, it just became her everyday way of being to live like that, and to impart wisdom and knowledge on everyone. I mean, you speak to everyone, who had spoken to her in the last couple of months before she passed and everyone has walked away with something has got a text or a conversation in their mind of something really profound she told them in terms of inspiring them and motivating and she had no idea she was passing away at that point my mum died away within hours it's totally quick and sudden and i'm sure we'll get onto that but you know she had no idea she was going she was going to pass yet everyone walked away and has just something so meaningful that's left behind from her her legacy and her wisdom it was just the core of who she was to influence people daily inspire them with her words yeah no of course i mean do you, can you remember the first time like because i remember when i was 18 i had a massive anxiety attack it kind of like changed everything for me i i was lying in bed i think and I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't even, you know, my world essentially just turned upside down. But it was it was kind of I was saved from sinking completely because I just went into the kitchen and spoke to my mum and just and I I couldn't quite say or vocal like vocalize what I was going through, feeling and why I was panicking. And um, she I'd never known her to talk like she did and she just started talking to me about her own anxieties and her problems and it halved all my worries mm-hmm. like I still obviously you know went through shit and what have you but she just completely 
she was like a, a it was just like the most profound rock. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't, you didn't know that your parent was capable of that. Oh my God, my mum, I can relate to my mum like that. She can save me like that. Oh my God, that's mm. amazing. You know, um, I suppose that was like, an, sorry. It anchors you completely, doesn't it? It's an instant grounding and anchor, I think. Yeah. And do, do, do you think like, you say from like the age of nine when you're like, oh mum, stop it. Uh. But then can you remember a moment when it was like, okay, yeah, she's, she's, she's got a fucking good point here. And when you were like, (laughs) yeah, it's just legit. When you were slightly older, I don't know when you were breaking up with a boyfriend or whatever. And and she's like, Hey, come here, Shoshana. I've got something to tell you. I'm trying to think of, um, I think probably I would say it became more of an everyday natural way of her communicating with me probably like from 16 17 upwards yeah when she started to train to be a counselor and psychotherapist herself um yeah i would say from around that age i'm trying to think of a specific moment like you said where i was just like oh my gosh that was i think it just so gradually was weaved in but i don't remember like a real well you see the thing is because mine mine's quite a little different because mine's more profound it's not profound it's, it's a profound moment rather where i had a panic anxiety attack for the first time it's like fuck whereas maybe you were just sort of like slightly more eased into yes you know knowing your mum's a bit more of a guru you mm, know? i think i think that's what it is to, to be honest and I, and I wonder as well i don't have the answer to this is it different mother to daughter as it is mother to son you know girls talk about their emotions a bit more don't they or they're like you know, I'll oh come my home god oh i had this crappy thing happen to me at school today mum and we'll talk whereas my brother will just come in go into his room and switch his music on so yeah. the opportunity isn't there as much it was when you reached out to your mum wasn't it yeah um, yeah we'll do it, that is... later on in life yeah, exactly. And I was I was in a position where I didn't have a choice. If I if I hadn't spoken to someone about it, would I would have gone mad. But with you, I'm like, I, it's it's hard because I I I guess like, girl, were you a girly girl or were you like, have you? Because you don't strike me as like you're kind of I don't know. You're not even a girl. You're just a <laughs> being. You're like a being. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't really fit. I don't really put you in the box of a. I don't know. It's really hard to, to describe because I'm because you've done so much with your life because like the the doggies as well like and mm-hmm. the, the soy dog it's which how we met it's kind of like do, what was your relationship like with your mum in terms of like boys and shit like that was it girly was it not girly but because i didn't i never had that with my dad never had that with my i had that bit with my mum later but not in the years where it really fucking counted like 17 to like 25 26 mm-hmm. whatever you know i was only able to talk about my mum uh, relationships and stuff when i was older like, can you remember, like, talking with your mum about boys or whatever when you were, like, a little girl and being, like... Oh, 100%. Oh, Honestly, I have friends at school who would call me, and this is in my teens, at, you know, 13, 16. I had friends at school that would call me at home and ask to speak to my mum because they wanted to talk to her <laughs> about boys <laughs> and sex and contraceptive. Like, my mum helped more of my friends... <laughs> get contraceptive and give them sex advice because they didn't want to go to their own mums but my mum was so straight up about it and open and you know the way she was you just could talk to her about anything so yeah we definitely did but I think what's really interesting with my me and my mum and boys was 
My mum met my dad when she was 16, got married, they were together for 14 years. They separated and then she met my stepdad, well not met him, but they got together about a year later and then she was with him. Um, and I think that interestingly, um, we didn't really, she came from a slightly different generation if you get with someone when you're younger and you stay with them for longer. So I don't think she understood or she was certainly wasn't able to relate to the quick ask dating game now of one boy for a year, then another one for two, you know. Yeah, could, yeah. And I think she struggled with, I don't understand why you can't just find someone. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but as things later on and when she had her own experiences and was counseling others, she started to realize and see the dating game is entirely different and was able to relate to me more. And then we'd laugh and joke about, you know, different relationship situations and that's quite interesting isn't it to like to become a, a, a psychotherapist a counselor and learn learn from your patients like learn from the people you're talking oh, to so much yeah i mean i've just started doing coaching and i have a handful of clients and i half the time think i'm learning more from them they teach me they really yeah. do you know, my mom had this very narrow-minded view of drugs as well. You know, there was an experience when she was younger and very anti-drugs. I was honestly brought up to believe that if you even sniff a drug, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, me too. You die. I remember when Leah Betts, do you remember Leah Betts, the girl who oh, died of raping yeah. yeah, it was huge. And she, you know, shoving the newspaper. See, I told you, you take one drug and that's it, you're dead. And she yeah. terrified me, you know. Um, but then again, as she went to counsel more, her, you know, world was opened a little bit. She became a bit more relaxed about it. Um, so a hundred percent, I think a big part of therapy coaching is learning, um, from the clients. Yeah. So should we, should we get horribly dark? Cause, yeah. um, I doubt I, you know, this won't just be one way. I'll probably talk about my dad and stuff. Yeah. Um, but can you, can you, yeah. Can you give us a, like a rough, outline however you want to do it on like what happened with your mum and how she passed away yeah do you, to talk you want me to just go into talking about the kind of final moments yeah yeah or just like how it came about because I know you were in San Diego yeah and she Absolutely. was a bit poorly and then suddenly got really bad mm, yeah so it was so on Thursday um it was actually quite interesting I, I was walking I left um my house to walk my four dogs and as I shut the door in the morning I honestly had this awful and I'm not really religious certainly not against a kind of a an infrastructure organized religion but I got this pull on my chest that was so awful I've never felt and I thought oh god I'm gonna reach out to my family and check everyone's okay something doesn't feel right I don't think today's a good day mm. anyway what my dogs came back had forgotten about it for a moment and then tried to call my mum in the afternoon to check she was okay in case it was something weird with her um she didn't answer and my stepdad called me back and I said oh it's funny I was just calling mum he goes no I know um you know I am with her but she's not feeling very well we've had to call the doctor out she feels a bit sick and I was like oh no and he goes it's absolutely nothing to worry about they think she's just got you know, we called it norovirus in England, you know, gastro-influenza type thing. She's just resting up. I said, oh, that sounds horrible, but I'm glad it's not as drastic as, you know, I had this feeling this morning that something horrendous was going to happen. I'm glad it's just a sickness bug. Um, she still didn't feel great on Friday. And then on Saturday, um, she started to get a rash in her upper leg. 
So my stepdad said, I don't like the look of that. Let's take you down to the hospital. So I took her to the hospital. She was admitted. Um, no one's still worried at this point, you know, in any way, shape or form. She's sickness bug and maybe this kind of rash now. Anyway, they called me two hours later. She'd been released. They had taken all her bloods. They'd done everything. Everything had come back clear, they said. Um, and so they were giving her a visual diagnosis of shingles. So, you know, immune system's down from the bug. Now she's got shingles, go home, rest. Um, there's an eight hour time difference between London and San Diego. So she goes to bed, um, oh, well, I go to bed Saturday night, which is about four or five in the morning, her time, and just said, oh God, I'm you know so sorry um, that you're feeling so crappy. Uh, feel better soon and I'll text you, you know, I'll reach out tomorrow. So I go to bed at 10 o'clock my time. I wake up at 8 a.m. Sunday morning, which is 4 p.m. in the UK on Sunday, so the majority of the day. And I look at my phone and I've had, I keep my phone on silent at night, and I've had 15 missed calls from my brother and my stepdad. And I remember shooting up out of bed and I've got a mirror at the end of the bed and I looked in the mirror and I actually said out loud, I was like, this is about to be the worst day of your life. Oh God. And I tried to call everyone. I couldn't get through to anyone. Then my boss messaged me and said, we've been told we need to get you on the next flight home. Your mum's severely ill. Julia's trying to organize that for you. So I jump out of bed, I'm calling um, my ex, I'm calling other people saying, I've got to go on a flight to England, can you come and get all my dogs, four dogs to coordinate. Um, I finally get hold of my stepdad and he says, your mum's in intensive care, it turns out um, she's, well, she's got septicemia now and it's really close, um, you just need to get here. Still trying to get hold of my brother. I can't get hold of him. He was trying to call me, couldn't get hold of him. And then, um, you know, I've got people turning up at my house by this point saying, it'll be okay. I know it's going to be okay. <laughs> Which is now something I would never say to anyone in this situation. Because how does anyone know it's going to be okay? And it obviously wasn't. So then, um, anyway, my stepdad calls me. He says, I'm, I'm at the hospital now. I'm here. She really is hanging on by a thread. Don't quite know what's happened. Just get here as soon as you can. And then about half an hour later, I tried calling him back and he didn't answer. But then my aunt called me from his phone and I said, what's going on? And she just really was very kind of calm in her voice. And she just said, we don't know. They're looking into it now. And at that moment, I thought, we do know she's got septicemia. And I went to say to her, she's gone, hasn't she? And you're too scared to tell me but I didn't want to hear the answer. And so I let her continue on this path. And then my stepdad called me straight back and I was like, she's gone, hasn't she? I could tell in Sharon's voice. And he said, no, no, she's still here, but it's really looking bad. And I didn't think my stepdad would lie to me. So I thought that, okay, no, she's okay. Or she's still alive. And then 15 minutes later, he called me back and just said, I'm so sorry, we've lost her, she's gone. And I remember like shouting out, my ex was starting to pack all the stuff in the car and I remember just screaming out of my balcony, she's gone, she's gone. And he obviously came running back in. 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess the short story after that is the night before when she'd been at the hospital, the doctor had, had misread her results showing that she did have a severe infection. She died of something called, she died ultimately of septicemia, but what she had was something called necrotizing fasciitis, which the media dubbed the flesh eating disorder. It's one of the most rare things you can get. It is so unfortunate to get it. And it literally rips into your body within hours. Yeah. Um, so they, but it, it is hard to diagnose, but, all the blood results, everything showed that she had an infection. She should have been admitted and they should have started treatment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I spent that entire day then trying to get back to England, um, all sorts of people reaching out and helping me. And then I don't know how I did the flight back that night. How oh my do gosh, you spend I... our flight in between these two really disgusting fat men? Fuck. <laughs> sniffing and all sorts um oh and yeah and then my you know very sad you know got to the other end at Heathrow and my stepdad and brother were waiting for me there as I came through security and just had a big hug and it's just in that moment you just it's the three of you from then on in oh. for the wreck it's so wrecked it's so wrecked because I oh god there's so much to 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 com compute there what you've just described like i i mean that that the moment when you get off the off the plane you see your 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 um family um it's so it's the weirdest trip in the world because i remember when i had that with my dad when we were going to intensive care he was still hanging on um i remember passing my uncle and my uh, cousin coming out of St George's Hospital in London and we just glanced at each other and walked on we were all just in a cloud of fucking a trip of it's like a parallel universe oh, it's a yeah so uh, it is a nightmare but uh, I was floating can you remember the sensation of the feeling that you were going through like when this whole this whole, I don't know, maybe it's like a two or three day period of coming, mm. of, of coming to terms with some of it. Do you mm. remember those feelings at all? Like the sensations? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the big thing, which a lot of people I think get hit with, which I would have had, which I did have is just the numbness. So it's funny. I didn't remember this until a few months later, but my ex who had been here with me at the time had said, when you, your stepdad had said to you, she's gone. I'm so sorry. She's gone. He went into, I, you need to know, I loved her so much. She was my everything. And then I responded. My next response after being told that my mum had passed away was to say, was it, without me realising, apparently I said to my stepdad, don't worry about me. I'm so sorry for you. You've just lost the love of your life. Yeah. And I don't recall saying that. Oh, I do now that he reminded me, but I've totally forgotten at the time. And then straight after I called Julie who from my company who had been helping me with flights. And I said, Julie, she's gone. And she burst into tears. And I said, Julie, you can't cry. So we've got to get me back to England. Oh my God. That is so fucking uh, coping strategy 
Like yeah, <laughs> it's numbness. It's numb. It's shock. I, you know, another friend calling me crying, and I couldn't. I didn't even. I couldn't even cry then. I don't. I can't think at what point in the day I cried. I think I had. I had all these visions. You know, you kind of. I'm a bit morbid, and I think about how I'd respond to stuff like this. And I had these visions of me falling to the floor and passing out and screaming tears. And I just. I think when the tears started to come a few hours later, it was. Um, just really slow, sad tears. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it was going into numbness, shock, practical mode. I just needed to get back to England. When I got to England, I went into, I need to look after my brother. I've got one younger brother because yeah. my brother, this is horrific. My brother was with her at the end. He was the one that went, was in the ambulance with her. What had happened is she'd collapsed at midday. Ambulance was called. She started to lose her speech. My brother was with her in the ambulance. Um, she got pulled away from him and taken to intensive care. And he said that the look she gave in her, she couldn't speak, but the look she gave in her eyes was, the way she would have said it, just the way my mum is, was my time's up, son. Fuck. And he had to go upstairs and then they called him and they said, you know, come into this room. And, and my mum had always said, if they ever, if you're ever in England anyway, if you're in a hospital and they call you into a separate room, you know you're in trouble. And so they called him into a separate room. So he said he remembered that he thought, God, we're in trouble. And he said, and the doctor said, your mum's had a, um, a cardiac arrest twice on the way up here. We can um, kind of try and resuscitate her again, but after a third time, it can become inhumane. And my brother's just ex like exceptional human being at this point, says, I can't have her in pain. How, what are her chances? And this is very, ugh, what are her chances of living? And the doctor said, she's not going to survive she's not got long and he said i need to go in and see her so he went in to see her and again this is something my mum had always said and i pass this on to everybody i want everyone to hear and know this and do this as part of her legacy and because i believe it too but she's always said her whole life whenever anything happens to me you have to talk to me until the end even if you think i can't hear you they say, hearing's the last things to go, and I want you to keep talking, even if I'm never not responding. And so, bless him, my brother went into, you've done everything you could possibly do for us as a mother. You've been the most incredible mother. You couldn't have done anything else. Um, and just really spoke to her until the end. Yeah. And then was holding her hand and, and speaking to her. That's when she had the final arrest, the cardiac arrest. And they said, you have to leave now. He had to watch from the window outside and then they came out and just said i'm really sorry it's it's not good for us to keep doing this and he said stop you've got to stop don't and so you know i mean how he but so i went into you know mode of looking after him and supporting him but it, it was interesting because the first night back in england my brother and i were in my mum's room um uh, you know gone to bed that night and I remember waking up about two in the morning and just started to have the panic attack um you know how how am I going to live this life how do you how do you live a life without your mother um I know it was going to happen at some point but not now she was 56 
and I remember my brother just reaching out and holding my hand and just you know me breathing through it um and then gosh and then after I think after those few days of grief and numbness oh sorry numbness and shock you then I then began the journey of grief Mm. yeah Um, and and I I do want to just because what you said there about your um brother is very hard for me to hear because I had to do that with my dad each of us got to say goodbye to my dad um and he was in intensive care uh with meningitis and and, and oh anyway um but I got to say goodbye and I was just thinking like whether or not you you don't you just didn't get that opportunity I didn't but let me say this I I remember someone that day saying to me which probably wasn't helpful at the time for most people but he said, my friend said, I'm worried that you are going to regret that you weren't there. And there's might be times ahead when you didn't are upset you didn't get to say your goodbyes. Now, maybe it's a part of grief I haven't got to yet. Um, but honestly, I don't think I will have that. And this is why my mum has always taught me to communicate how I'm feeling all the time, has always told me that vulnerability is a strength. And so every single day of our life, I would FaceTime my mum every day or text her. Every single day we would say, I love you, I'm proud of you. We were so open and communicative as a family. That was the biggest lesson she left behind to just talk and tell people how you feel. And so I know that because of how she had been and encouraged us to be as a family and always telling each other how much we love each other and how proud of each other we are, there is nothing for me that was left unsaid or undone. Yeah. And I know my mum loved me living the happiest life I've ever lived here in San Diego. And so actually, maybe it sounds harsh to some people, but I don't have a regret about not being there at the end because the end is not the sum. It was the entire journey I've had before her that made our relationship. That was not that defining moment at the end that it was not a defining moment at the end for our relationship in any way. And so I'm at peace with that part of it. Hmm. Thank God my brother was there. Yeah. I'm so glad she had someone there. Um, But the physical act of saying goodbye is not something that I have dwelled on because of how we lived our lives before that. Yeah. I mean, my, my, yeah. What, what you said there is amazing because I think it just shows an enormous amount of what you've learned from your mum and like what she passed down to you and, and also how much you've, how much you've grown, I suppose, since, since, since her passing, like to be able to, um, de- Com, not decompartmentalize but you know to to put things where they belong where they're in terms of like not catastrophizing things that don't need to be not going oh my god I didn't say goodbye and 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 I kind of creating drama where they're just it did obviously drama needs to be there but not making it into a whole horrible cesspit of 
anxiety and worry, knowing that spiritually your journey with your mum isn't essentially about going, you know, beginning, middle and end. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's and in, in, in a way you, you're going to have you, the conversation with your mum goes on and on and on and on for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, do, everything that she taught, you know, taught you, it, she's with you every day anyway. Definitely. No, I believe it. And I think this leads just on to, which is such a, it's a core part of me now, this grief and this journey. Um, Again, because of how she had taught me to always be open and communicate. The moment I lost her, I decided to literally, you know, stare grief in the face right from the beginning. And I was like, I am processing you. I am going to adapt as a result of you. I think um, a lot of people, it's too painful and it's too much. So they avoid it for a long time. They suppress it. And I understand that that is a coping mechanism that works for people. I knew that I had to, as a legacy for her as well, handle it head on. Um, And I think it's realizing that pain and grief don't go away when you ignore it, right? It will crop up somewhere else. You know that game of whack-a-mole where you keep hitting right. it and it crops up? That right. is pain and grief. If you, in the, you know, sometimes the most unexpected times, that if you ignore pain and grief and you, you're hitting it and suppressing it, ignoring it, I promise you it crops up elsewhere. Um, and I think a big learning for me this year with grief is, you know, you don't cure grief. You don't resolve it. You don't fix it. Fixing is for boilers that are broken. (laughs) Grief, you feel it and you integrate it. Grief is a core part of who I am now. People might think that that sounds a bit depressing, but it's not. Because actually what grief does, you know, there's, I think it's a rabbi that says, there's no heart more whole than a broken one. Yeah. And I have never related to something so much in my life. You know, a broken heart still beats. Well, it, it speaks um, completely to what your mother said about vulnerability. Completely, completely. Um, and so I agree, you know, what you were saying, I think it's, you know, not getting caught up in certain aspects of it because what has happened since I've gone on this journey is my entire priorities have changed. My whole perspective has shifted on what's important. Um, grief is fucking awful, especially when you don't know what to do with it at the beginning. All it does is just crop up on you and cause you nonstop pain and anxiety and sadness. You don't know what to do with it. But when you know how to work with it, not against it, the redemptive potential of fully inhabited grief is that it provides the most powerful source, in my opinion, for living a deep and meaningful and compassionate life. Can you can you expand on that a bit? Like because that's a big like you said it's a big thing for people to get their heads around living mm. with grief at your core at the core um yeah so i think that since my mum passed away 
it what it did was it's like unlocking this treasure chest of emotions you know let's say on a, on a on a scale of one to ten this is kind of very it's kind of making it feel a, a little bit basic but on a scale of one to ten experiencing joy and sadness before my mum had passed away i'd say now i can look back and say probably experienced them to a level of five since i lost my mum I feel like, I don't want to say 10 because something else might happen that will get me to 10, but I can certainly tell you that I've gone way beyond a five in the depth of how I experience sad. You know, sadness is so much sadder, but joy is so much more joyful than I ever experienced um, because I have a true sense of what is actually important, what we should actually be worrying about. I love... Um, do you remember that song Baz Luhrmann always wear sunscreen? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Years yeah. ago, years ago. Yeah, yeah. First of all, people need to go back and listen to that song because it's a piece, it's a genius. Everything in it. But there's a line in it and I just think it's the, tr it is that, and this is all about perspectives and priorities and it's a truth thing and it says something like, you know, the real troubles in your life are apt to be the things that never crossed your mind. The kind that blindside you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. And that to me resonates more than ever because you can spend all this time worrying about the job, your relationship. It's an ongoing meandering of emotions, right? This something that truly blindsides you out of nowhere that you barely even thought about. Though those are your real troubles. And so that's where my priorities have shifted. And that's where we're all living right now with coronavirus. I mean, not so much. It, it's it's we're trying to get some sort of semblance of of a life back, mm -hmm. but no one saw this coming. Anyone oh. that's saying, "Oh, I saw this shit happening in China," blah blah blah, that's fine it. if you did, but no, yeah, exactly. And it's it, it's wreaked total havoc. Like, and that it, it, yeah, it's what happens in life. I mean, I when you talk about experiencing joy like you haven't experienced it prior to your mum your mum passing away I get that because my dad before he died he had that with his dad when his dad passed he was like right I'm gonna do stuff to get more joy out of my life he started cycling taking up saxophone doing loads of walks of charity and and getting into that aspect of life and then when my dad died a good few years later I, I just did this this kind of really weird innate ability to just not give a fuck about some things and that can be bad mm. for example i'm not very good with money but i don't fuck it doesn't keep me up at night let me tell you and and losing a client doesn't keep me up at night you know i i've, I've learned through having to say goodbye to my dad on his fucking deathbed aged 50 and i know there are plenty of people that lose their parents a lot younger but you, if you can't learn from that, if you cannot take the pure essence of, of, of life and how fucking fragile it is, I mean, it's a miracle we're here anyway, and mm -hmm. how fragile it is. I'm not saying like running up and down the street saying Eureka every fucking morning, but like at least taking a moment to ex just, just ex you know, taking the ones that you love in a really small, wonderful way. But I'm going round and round in circles here. 
but I'm I'm just basically saying what no saying I agree with you. no a hundred percent I agree with you it's you do find a deep meaningful meaning in life I think actually my biggest struggle when my mum first passed away it wasn't kind of even the core sadness my um a lot of my process of what I didn't handle well was actually other people I had no patience first of all I had no patience for the stupid things people say when you're grieving now I had read early on that a big part in the grieving process that shows you're kind of moving through it is when you aren't mad at the people for saying stupid things at the beginning so I was ready for this and I am able now to look back and be kinder to those people and think they were coming from a good intention place. But at the time when people said to me, she's in a better place, where the fuck is this place that's better that's not right beside me? When people mm. said to me, everything happens for a reason, what fucking good reason? Oh, you now, you now appreciate life a bit more because she's died. You know, those things, I sound like I'm still angry about it. People come out with stupid stuff, right? I, I know exactly what you mean. It's just, just the awkwardness. It's like, who who knows how to be around grief that intense? No one. No, no one fucking no. knows how to. My friends left. They fucking left. They One, maybe two stayed around, but most of them just fucked off. I was in a band with two guys. It didn't just, just didn't talk about it. We just, no, oh, we won't talk about that. My mum my, 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 my went to shit. We didn't talk about that. You know, it's just... We just everything, and but I don't. I, I have certain a little degree of animosity towards those people, mm. but all, but also like you said, you know, fucking. How do you do? How as a someone who is, you know, someone who's going up to Shoshana and going, um, she's in a better place. But fuck it, I know it's. But what are they trying to do? They're just trying to be, trying to deal with a mm. mountain of grief. Like it's. Yeah the shock as well definitely and i think you know you have to no they're not saying those things to upset you no one sees that you've been fucking kicked down and then just wants to make it worse they are coming <laughs> from a place they are good intention it's just misguided right and part and right, i do believe right. that part of the grief process is when you can get to a place where you no longer feel that kind of anger towards them and you know what honestly before my mum passed away I think I kind of just said nothing. Grief is such a taboo still. I think I would rather say nothing. It's only because I've experienced it that I now feel in a better place to help others. And so I am helping people through grief, being a support to those who are grieving, supporting those who are, who are helping those grieving is a huge part of what I've what I want to do with my life, with my life now, you know, advice of how, you know, a better way. I know everyone's different, but advice of what is a better way to respond to those grieving, what helped me, um, that my, yeah, I just want to, I really want to be alongside grievers now and those supporting those who are grieving. So this is, this is the more, this is a morbid thing I'm about to tell you. I had that exact same experience later, about five years down the line after my dad passed away. I wrote a song called Dead Dad Gang. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was like, it's morbid, it's fucking weird, but you've lost your dad, come and join the gang. Come and, and I, I put that song at the end of every episode. And, and you know, I, 
it it is just like part. And I'm not saying oh we're better than everyone else because we've lost a parent no, or a loved yeah. loved one and bullshit like that. It's just like you know, come and join with us. It's going to be okay. It's fucked up, but it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think you're right. We, you and I have talked about this before separately, haven't we? I think what I've learned is that when you meet someone now. And they say they've lost a parent or for me specifically a mom you specifically a dad in that instant you don't have to say anything else and you get each other it's this we are bound by an invisible thread with everyone that has lost someone too young and you might say 50 is you know people have lost people younger they have 56 my mom people have lost people parents when they were younger it's still too young, Will. It's still too young to lose a parent. Mm. And I and think... Depend- Sorry, yeah. go on, go on. No, no, please, you go on. Well, I was just going to say, and it also depends where you are in your life mentally. Like, it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was an infant at 22. I was a, I was a child, mm. you know. But that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. I wanted you to bring that up about that song because... It is. It's incredible how you just suddenly feel. At the beginning, you only feel connected to those people that have lost someone. I kind of felt very disconnected from anyone else who hadn't actually been to. Because I was just like, you don't get it. Like you, are, you don't get it. They don't. But I was yeah. kind of resentful in a way that they don't get it. And so I gravitated so much towards people that have experienced it. So I'm like, you get it. You understand it. It's um, a secret club. Yeah. It's a secret club. It is. It, it's a horrible club. But actually, it's a community where you feel understood. And I think a grief and, is and, and you know what's really... Sorry, those 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 parents are forever uh, immortalised. My dad is never going to fucking become an alcoholic, like a, a wasting drug addict, alcoholic, or piece of shit that boots up my mum. You know, nothing terrible is going to happen to my dad now. It's gone. It was terrible that happened to him. But, you know... He's in a better place now. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and 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 it's it's fucked up, but it's um, it, it's just one of those things where you just go like, yeah, I um completely lost my trail of thought, but never mind. Oh, no, so I think no, no. I, what we were kind of saying is, I do, you know, I do, and like you say, I don't want it to sound. I really don't want this to come across in any kind of arrogant, better than anyone else way. Because trust me, I'd rather fucking have my mum back than say this. But I do believe that those of us who have suffered that deeply in life understand life in a way that others can't. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and do you know what I, I've, I, um, I know you know some people who, some people will have that coming coming to them in in their, in life. They haven't crossed that hurdle yet. Some people haven't even lost a grandparent yet, and mm. you know what's coming. And um, do you know what I? it's any grief here fuck it i've got one of my best mates who lost a a girl not lost broke up with his girlfriend right it was his first girlfriend he was quite late in life was like 30 odd destroyed him absolutely fucking destroyed him and he was going through grief and trauma and everything and he had a proper hard time of it like really bad and i i i was absolutely gravitated towards him and spoke to him about my grief with my dad um previous failed relationships and it's all connected it's all connected grief in some ways some people they all actually would prefer that person to have died 
than to have to go to go to go on without them it's you know it's weird that's well i think that's where it comes back to the difficulty we've got as a society is what we've attached to the word grief so people often you think of grief as this extreme well it is an extreme emotion but this extreme emotion that tends to be attached to the loss of a person. Whereas what I think we need to realize is that grief comes in many forms of different losses. So loss of a girlfriend, what I said earlier on, loss of what you know, loss of normalcy, loss of direction. You still grieve as a result of that. It's grieving a loss, whatever form it's in. Um, Yeah. No, but it's, it's so true. And I just don't think that people, I mean, this is going towards more relationships now, but people don't give that enough credence. Definitely not. And in, in my experience, I think people need a little bit more compassion for those people that have been through really hard breakups. Um, yeah, I mean, I went out with a girl for five months. I was I was obsessed with her and she strung me along and then bin me off and I had a breakdown. A fucking breakdown for like a year. It was crazy. But that is another conversation. <laughs> um, but... But what I'd, what I'd, I'd love to just briefly chat about is how, how you and I first met, because we met at Soy Dog. We did. Um, and I can't actually, for once in my fucking life, remember when I first met someone uh, or just a really clear memory, because you were sat with Jill, uh, the uh, co-founder of Soy Dog Foundation, uh, and I was sat opposite you. I can't remember what we ate or anything, but I know exactly the restaurant we were at. It's like probably about a mile, mile and a half from Soy Dog. And and then you started talking about why you were at Soy Dog. And I was like, mm-hmm. and it got more and more like profound and a little bit more like, what the fuck have you done again? <laughs> and then I, like you showed me, well, not pictures, but video footage of you going to like the House of Parliament and shit. Yeah. So, well, if I remember you had actually said that you'd seen it and loved it and then realized that, and I was, you know, that I, me and, and, and another actually yeah. the ones to put it together yeah so it was um you know the horrific dog meat trade in southeast asia um i would travel to thailand i've got a stray dog from thailand that i picked up um off the beach and you know preventing the torture that these dogs went through was something that you know it struck on my heart and I needed to do something about it. And I had a colleague who was very passionate about it as well. And we decided to try and get something going in parliament in the UK to end the dog meat trade effectively, you know, or go some way towards helping it. And so, yeah, we organized, we ended up organizing a debate in parliament and what was super cool was that um, some of the actors from Downton Abbey got involved. Um, Peter Egan. Um, yeah, British I've actor. spoken with Peter Egan on the show. Have he's you? Great. Yeah, he's great. He's a lovely man. Love him. He's Yeah, he is wonderful. That's really cool. Um, great guy. So he came and he spoke at it. Um, and then that meant that um, Judy Dench came along. The Hench. Uh, Awesome, yeah, um, and some of the other um, actors, and, and what it led to, that was an initial kind of like briefing, and then it actually ended up being debated in Parliament, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where my connection with Soy Dogger come in, because they do so much, they were doing so much, I was doing so much to help prevent that. Yeah, oh my God, they're, they're wonderful, and it was, 
it was, ama- it was a- it's amazing how we met i love it and i love how we're still mates and you've really cracked on with your life in america and what have you mm-hmm. and now you've got four fucking dogs <laughs> I mean, wow dog girl um, i know was that that all seem like a blur to you now? Like bearing in mind like what you've been through I since? It does, yeah. It feels like does. I mean, I think everything feels it actually anything pre my mum passing is feels like a different life. It does feel I feel like I've got two lives that just one just came together by a little thread, but two very separate. I feel like I, I definitely would have feel, felt like I've let live two lives at the end. Yeah. I think my mum and post my mum. I, I I see you now, like I um, because I can I can remember like we haven't really chatted, we haven't been in in one than one another's company for like six, uh, nearly six years. But I remember how like you have a, you had a real intensity about you, but not in a cunty way. <laughs> you know, like you had like. A, a real That's the shame. I wanted it to be in a cunty way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just a very cool, quiet, profound TikTok, TikTok, like energy about you. It's really cool. And I think that was a real, you know, you definitely. I mean, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass too much, but like, I think some people, some, <laughs> some <laughs> people in, some people in life do have that quiet energy about them. That's they're doing something a they're doing something that's meaningful uh, to to them, but to the in the wider world, and, and in, they want to impact the wider world in a meaningful way, but they're not shouting about it. That's basically what I think about you. I think that's amazing, and it, that means a lot to me because I think the biggest lesson I've taken from my mum of where I want to get to is it's really interesting your use of words is that when I look at my mum at the, you know, at the end, she had done all the work in her life and she did it quietly. She always talked about having a quiet confidence in going about your journey. And to me, that is where I want to get to. At the moment, I'm really working on my ego. So anytime I kind of want to be, you know, shout up about something, I check in with myself and am I saying that with my ego because I want other people to think I'm great or, you know, prove myself and I try and stop myself because I think the greatest way to live your life and the greatest legacy that you can leave behind is having gone about making a change and a difference and influencing others positively, but in a quiet way where you didn't need the praise. And so to hear I might have a snippet of that which has come from my mum is actually the most wonderful thing someone could say to me. So thank oh, you. Mate, no worries. That did, that, <laughs> that was not a hard thing to say at all. I mean, do you know what though? The word that I think there is dignity. Like there's a dignity in just, just getting on with your life and just not shouting about it. It's My mum always said it's grace. Yeah, grace, same yeah. Thing. Same thing, yeah. it's grace. She was all about grace yeah yeah that, that's so beautiful show oh god that's probably a good place to end it but i kind of like just want to keep talking to you it's <laughs> a <laughs> so gang man it's the dead it's parent the gang dead parent gang dead parent gang that's what it yeah. is yeah and you know what i think when i was writing that song i was like the one of the um 
one one of the the verses goes um do you remember all the holidays do you see now how that's all changed because i had such profound amazing memories of child childhood holidays like i cannot tell you i went to boarding school and i was fucking miserable and the summer holidays would rock around and we'd go on holiday often to the isle of wight and uh we'd just all get along we'd all get along three kids a dog fucking isle of wight you know just walking down to ventnor and getting some sweets from the sweet shop and watching the midnight ferry go down to Sher, you know sailing down to sherborg and and that i was just trying to like those all those memories they're such a different intensity once someone you like a, someone who's a cornerstone of your life you don't actually realize quite how much of a cornerstone of your life they are at the time even the time of writing that song like now after i've had pearl we've got pearl um got another one on the way i might be moving it's yeah and fucking when brexit happened and all this coronavirus shit you're just like my god what would my dad say what would my dad say what would my dad say oh, yeah. you know you did that that i suppose is like I suppose that's kind of grief isn't it that's kind of like learning to deal with that what would he do what would he do not letting it make you too fucked up and sad you definitely have to find a way to continue to hear their voice i know at the end of 2019 last year i really struggled more than i thought i would on new year's eve because i built this idea that by going into a new year I'm leaving her behind. I felt like I was leaving her behind and I was that I really hated that thought and I had to do some work to realize that I'm leaving the event in 2019. I bring her soul and wisdom with me forever into every year now going forward. So to yes. what you were saying, how do I hear them? They still exist in that capacity, you know, not physically, but you can you do carry them in your heart now. Mm. and you hear their words and you hear their advice and I think um, that's a really important thing to be able to tap into yeah that's beautiful so thank you so much thank you you're going to be a fucking you're going to be a very helpful woman to a lot of very sad people let me tell you so much you have a lovely evening hope you get yeah. good sleep Oh, oh my god let's pray yeah <laughs> thanks show you're looking great oh, great to see you thanks so much it's really lovely